the hard shoulder on News Talk with the all-new Nissan Juke, the coupe crossover by Nissan. Nissan, innovation that excites. John Kelleher, good to see you. We're talking about Juliet Greco. I didn't know who Juliet Greco was. I had never heard of Juliet Greco. Some of our listeners probably have, others haven't. And do you know what we'll do actually before we talk about her? Let's take a quick listen. Sous le ciel de Paris s'envole une chanson. Elle est née d'aujourd'hui dans le cœur d'un garçon. Sous le ciel de Paris marchent les amoureux. Leur bonheur se construit sur un air fait pour eux. So that's Juliette Greco, John, the latest inductee into The Last Post. Who was she? Well, she's definitely more of my uh, time, my vintage. Like when I was an adolescent and a young adult, I worshipped her, as did many uh, people all around the world. She was an acclaimed French chanteuse, singer, cabaret and recording uh, star. Um, she came to fame in the immediate post-World War II uh, period. Well, she was still very young then, but over the next five or ten years, she uh, was uh, sort of uh, the muse of the Paris left bank. She was uh, much loved by very, very um, high profile intellectuals like Jean-Paul Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir and all that, Albert Camus, all those uh, people. They took her, they, they sort of adopted her. But her amazing ability was her look and her voice. She had this, as you heard there, mm. just a little bit. And I think we're going to play a little, a little more, just a bit. But here's a, here's a comment that a music journalist said at the time. She grasps each song, he said, and she wrings every ounce of feeling from it. Each one is acted out to the full. She is sexy, funny, sad and thoroughly exhausting. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that's some description. Extraordinary woman. She was still singing, by the way, when she was 90. Wow. Performing. Still I going mean. strong. Yeah. And 93 when she passed away, which means born in 27. Tell us it, about her. That's right. She was born in 20, 1927 in Montpellier and she was um, the daughter of a, of a uh, police commissioner uh, who had a very violent temper and her mother was an aspiring artist. They split and... Uh, the mother really abandoned her, actually, and uh, she she was brought up mostly by her grandmother. But she was only 13, actually, when the Nazis marched into Paris and her mother and sister were with the resistance. So they were actually arrested and sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp. But she was briefly put in prison uh, because of her association. But then she was let out and she, she walked to Paris uh, quite a distance from the prison in freezing temperatures. Um, and she started uh, her career, I guess her early career, by kind of scrounging work here and there and um, scrounging for food and taking acting classes. She wanted to be a, an actress. But photographers at the time were drawn to her to her beauty. She was stri- a striking beauty. There's a life 
uh, magazine picture in 1947 of her um, in wearing secondhand men's clothes. That was one of her trademarks at an okay. earlier stage. Baggy trousers, an old sweater rolled up at the sleeves. And that actually triggered a popular fashion trend. And it wasn't long then, as you said before, she caught the eye of the the, the intellectuals in oh, Paris. Oh, yes, absolutely. Poets, philosophers, artists. Uh, um, and as I say, they, they adopted her, uh, the intellectuals adopted her as, as one of their own. She, Sartre, Jean-Paul Sartre was absolutely um, besotted with her. Uh, he, he described her spellbinding, husky, intimate voice uh, in, in, in he said it was like uh, she has a million poems, he said, in her voice. Uh, it's like a warm light that revives the embers burning inside us all. <laughs> no <laughs> one has no ever said that about me or you, John. <laughs> well, uh, well, he said that he wrote, the words he wrote were kind of prosaic and, and lustreless, but in her mouth they became precious stones. Mm, all right. Uh, she had a distinctive look as well, you were mentioning. Oh, yeah. Oh, she did. She always, almost always wore black. She wore uh, slink, a slinky black dress or kind of sleek uh, black pants. She had dark raven hair, uh, high cheekbones, very high cheekbones. And she had these wonderful... Uh, I'm remembering my youth, Karen. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I can see you're kind of drifting <laughs> backwards in time there. <laughs> these <laughs> these soulful, deep-set, uh, almond-shaped eyes. Uh, the famous photographer, Henri Cartier-Bresson, he captured that kind of waifish look that she had, um, which was the embodiment of left-bank chic. Yeah, she had as well then, she had this look, but I suppose the distinctive voice more than anything. The voice, the voice more than anything. And, and she... she conveyed that kind of world-weary, uh, intense, uh, bittersweet uh, thing that was a sort of a reflection of her of her own life. Um, she had this, oh, you know, it's an amazing deep throaty, throaty voice. Um, and she was, the, the genre of music that she uh, adhered to was called the um, uh, Chanson Francaise, Francaise uh, which is a storytelling kind of thing. She said herself, my songs are like little plays and they are typically French. We are a people who express our love in songs, our anger in songs, even our revolution, she said, in songs. Will we hear a little bit of a song? I'm not sure if uh, it's a beautiful song, but I think I might ask you to, perhaps it's in French. De Chabellez-moi. Yes. Undress me. Maintenant tout de suite Allez vite Sachez me posséder Me I'm going to offer subtitles for people at home, John, will I? Undress me Yes, but not immediately Not too fast To desire me To captivate me, John Undress me But don't be like all men Too hasty Don't be rough or wild But with restraint not too fast, with delicacy, with suppleness and with skill. Now immediately, quickly, know how to possess me, to consume me, to burn me, undress me, my God. John, I should have given a bit of a warning, I think, before we got to that. Dirty old dog, yeah. It's not after the watershed, yeah. No, it's not. Was that a, a kind of a, a signature lyrics for her? Yeah, that was probably her, her maybe among others, her, one of her very best known um, songs. I mean, she did 
plenty of other ones. She did a wonderful version of what we call Autumn Leaves, uh, which has been recorded by, you know, Eric Clapp. Not her version, but so many people have covered that song. She did uh, another one called The Accordion with Serge Gainsbourg, who was one of her many lovers. Uh, she'd flutter her fingers over her body uh, as if she were an accordion as she as she sang it. Um, and then uh, another one, La Javonaise, which was also written for her by Serge Gainsbourg, which is used in many movies. It was in The Shape of Water. It's used in The Da Vinci Code. Oh, right. OK. So yeah. people will recognise it. If, if they play it back, they'll, they'll recognise it. Uh, was she in movies herself? Yeah, she had a she had quite a significant uh, movie career. Uh, she in her film debut was in 1948 playing a nun and then she sang the title song of a big French movie Bonjour Tristesse which was a famous novel uh, that was made into a movie and then she appeared in around about 30 French and American movies um, with plenty of well-known co-stars Ava Gardner Errol Flynn Orson Welles she was she was hotly pursued by a very uh, a kingpin Hollywood mogul, if you like, uh, Daryl F. Zanuck, who who actually had a romantic relationship with her. He produced The Longest Day, The Grapes of Wrath and all of that. Okay. And he tried but failed to turn her into a, a, a top movie star. He had things done to her, like her nose, getting her nose straightened, getting her hair lightened. And then he cast her as a, as a cabaret singer in his version of The Sun Also Rises, the Hemingway novel adaptation. But th- his attempts to make her a star didn't really work out. How did the love life work out? It, it uh, worked out better than you might expect, um, but it, it petered out and and when it did, so did her movie career. OK. Uh, but she had a lot of romances, Kieran. She she had, and three marriages. Um, she, she had a romance with, with Gainsbourg, who, who I mentioned. Yeah. She had a romance with a racing car driver uh, called Jean-Pierre uh, Bimille, who was, died in a car crash during the Buenos Aires uh, Grand Prix. And she also had a romance with Sasha Distel, the French singer. Okay, uh, Miles Davis as well. They yeah, crossed he, that was the love of her life. Oh, I right. think. Yeah, she had a she had a, a quite a long standing relationship with Miles Davis, the um, American jazz trumpeter, um, who she met when he was visiting Paris. And he said that they used to walk hand in hand along the Seine, along the River Seine, and it was like magic. He said. Uh, almost like I was hypnotised and in some kind of a trance. And she, she wanted to go back to America with him when he was returning to the States. Um, but he ended their relationship because in that era of segregation, we're talking like the mid-50s, mm-hmm. he, uh, he felt that her career would be simply destroyed by being associated with a black man. Oh, he did, he, he did it for her. He, he felt did it for her, her career he would be destroyed. He absolutely wow. did. And they remained friends, which is lovely, for the rest of his life. Uh, he visited her just a few months before he, they, he died. They didn't marry, though. They didn't marry, no, no. Uh, Sartre, by the way, asked him, um, why didn't he marry her? And he said, I love her too much to make her unhappy. <laughs> that is a great, great answer. Uh, look, uh, I, I suppose for someone who had so many wild ups and downs did you any struggles in the background yeah she she was a, she was a very passionate person and she felt things very deeply uh, I mean by the way she once slapped a cop across the face when she was 14 years old 
Uh, but anyway, yeah, she she did. She she suffered uh, over the years. She suffered. She struggled with depression, and she did actually attempt suicide in in 1965. She took an overdose of of sleeping pills. But she was a brave woman too. Tell she, us about Augusto yeah. Pinochet. Yeah, yeah, that's an amazing uh, episode. I didn't know this until I was reading about her recently. She was in Chile in 1981, and she agreed to perform at a gala. It was being televised uh, concert in front of the dictator, General Pinochet, and a bunch of army officers and their wives. Um, and at the last minute, she changed the running order, the songs running order, and she performed a selection of songs in front of Pinochet and his gang, the songs that were banned by the military junta. Oh, wow. Which was fantastic. She said actually herself, I came on stage to a tumultuous reception. You know, they, they yeah. knew who she was, obviously. Uh, but when I went off, there was dead silence. And that silence is one of the greatest triumphs of my career. Oh, wow. What a great story. Yeah. What a brave person uh, as well. Tell us about her, her later years then. Um, later years, she, she she kept going like really well. Yeah, you well, said she well sang up until yeah, she was but she, had a, she had a heart attack in 2001 and her last, she released her last album in 2013. She announced her farewell tour about five years ago. Um, she was heading for 90 then. And uh, she said she didn't want to create the sight of an old woman uh, hanging on. She didn't desperately didn't want to do that. Then in May 2017, just after a stroke, she went on stage for the last time in Paris at the age of 90. Wow. Someone's texted in. I don't think I've heard John so excited in a long time. I think you're right, Texter. Uh, John, listen, it was great stuff. Uh, 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 fascinating, fascinating story. I'm looking forward to, to next week's edition of The Last Post uh, already. Stay with us this week on The Hard Shoulder. We're going to be talking about the rampant rise of the podcast.